Welcome to Closing the Gap, and I'm your host, Denise Cooper. Ever wanted good advice or insights about your career, leadership, or navigating messy organizational politics? Getting good advice can make all the difference between making the right choices and worrying about what to do. So sit back, relax, and listen as my guests and I talk about lessons learned about career success, leadership, and HR in the 21st century. My guest today is Debbie Snow Walsh. She's a good friend, and she's the CEO of her own boutique search firm. Debbie is an expert at identifying and showcasing the brilliance and soft spots we all have. Three reasons people love her. They can hand off the search to Debbie and know that it'll get done right. Two, Debbie has a great insight and generously offers her advice on how to assimilate new talent into all her client organization. And three, she spent 20 years watching and often nurturing women and minorities as they ascend the corporate ladder. The result, her Fortune 300 and fast-growing companies see a diverse slate of proven, highly talented people capable of fitting in and delivering outstanding results. Please, everyone, welcome Debbie Snow Walsh. So hi, Debbie. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Denise, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time and the opportunity. You know, getting people together to have these conversations, and it really is just a conversation, it's one of the ways I think is the second part of learning. And as a coach, this is the best way I think people can take what they learn in the book and then say, well, how are people applying it? And that's what this conversation is about. It's about you hear all of these things, but you never really understand what's under them. And then how are people applying it across different situations, different people, women, minorities, men? It doesn't really matter. How are they thinking? So I thought I'd take this opportunity to stop long enough because your experience is really around talent acquisition, but you're really one of the best sales and marketing people that I I think I know out of this. But you've also targeted CEOs. So I want to start with some of the really basic questions. What is search? Search is really matchmaking. It's really taking what the CEO or whoever the hiring manager is and giving them what they think they want in whatever talent is to serve the organization. In my opinion, talent has four or five or six, we call them the big five, things that go into it. It has to be a leader who has the ability to articulate a vision and get people to follow into hell to execute it. It has to be a person who knows how to drive financial results through teams of people. Whether you're making widgets or selling services, you're not the person delivering the whole thing. You have a team of people, and you have to be able to drive financial results that way. You have to be able to be a change agent. It's an old word that's been around forever, but really what it means is changing economy, changing environment. Look at the amount of change in every single industry you can think of in the last five years and even in the last two years. What Amazon has done to retail, what artificial intelligence has done to almost everything you can think of, you know, how things are different, the way technology has driven banking and the differences there and walking into a bank or just taking a picture of your check now. You have to be a person that has the ability to have integrity in ethics in difficult situations because, you know, as my father used to say, it really doesn't matter if you have ethics or integrity unless you're in the soup. And if you're in the soup, you better hope you have ethics and integrity because it's the only thing that will guide you. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is you have to be a coach. 
That's where you are, Denise, and you have to be a coach, and every business person has to be a coach. And coaching is not just people beneath you, below you, people on your team. It's the people next to you. How many times have you been asked, what should I do in this situation? And it's Mm -hmm. being a coach to the person above you, whoever your boss is, whether that's the CEO or the chief bottle officer, whatever it is, you have to be able to coach above, next to, beneath. Yeah, you know, that the last one, I've I've changed it because, you know, people – they bristle, especially business people bristle about the coach. Everybody still, I shouldn't say everybody, but there's still a big piece out there that says if you've got to get a coach, then something's wrong with you kind of thing. And the way you describe coach, I think of as a thought leader. Yeah. So you have to be somebody who people say, this is your specialty, and I trust you enough to let my guard down, to be open to hear another possibility, and then be able to give good advice or guidance or scenarios that people can latch on and improve their performance. So to me, that's kind of, that's what this last piece that you call the coach is really about. But you've also got to have the other four components of it. So regardless of whether you are the CEO or the director of, you know, enterprise-wide IT, it doesn't really matter. Any leader has to have these four things. The role dictates how wide the span is and who you're going to touch in it, right? Yep, I think that's true. And I think coaching, going back to your definition of it, I think coaching is sometimes the ability to help people see things through a different lens. Mm. Just to look at things a little bit different way. If you move a little to the right or a little to the left with your opinion or your beliefs, how does it change the way you see the situation you find yourself in? Yeah. What different lens? You know, it's the commercial that's on TV. Better with lens one or better with lens two? Better with lens three or better with lens four? It's how you look at that. And sometimes, I mean, how many times have you been in a coaching environment where you're just talking to one of your employees or one of your colleagues or your boss, and you say, you know, have you thought about it this way? And when you say that in a non-threatening way, the person goes, gee, I never even thought about that. Right. Well, if that happens, then this could happen. It's right. changing the lens. It's changing the view. Yeah, yeah. and when, when I'm coaching a CEO, I tell them, I said, you really only have three jobs. The first one is you need to make sure this place makes money. you got to make sure you have products and services that attract the kind of person you want, that old niche thing. And then the third piece is, is you got to make sure that you create an environment which you can do business. Yeah. And as we see all of the speed, you and I, a few years ago, a couple of years now, we worked on the Create team, which was envisioning HR in the 21st century. I can't Correct. believe we're almost a quarter of the way through and we're still having this conversation of how does <laughs> HR, really, I mean, how does HR have to change? And it really, you know, when I step back and think about what came out of that particular group, the biggest aha for me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, was what has to change is the way we think about implementation and this idea of picking the right objectives, picking the right strategy. So it's all about the way we think, the way we exchange information, this kind of thought leadership, and then all the other things fall in place. Because if you pick the wrong bird, you know, you're not going to eat at night, right? That's absolutely right. If the strategy is not there for what what drives the corporation and what you see the corporation as is in the next three to five, ten years, the implementation can be perfect. If the strategy is wrong, zippo. I mean, how many companies have you – can you think of that, you know, they've had a terrible strategy, but they have perfect implementation, and what happens? They fall on their face. You know, there's yeah. tons of retailers, tons of restaurants, tons of people that have great ideas, 
you know, and they do well even if the implementation is not perfect because they can tweak the implementation where mm-hmm. they know they have mistakes. But if they got the strategy wrong, they can have perfect implementation and they'll never succeed. They'll yeah. never succeed. Yeah, and it's back to that. They miss the obvious question, the right. other way of looking at this, the other way of what's coming down the pike that you either didn't place enough risk on or you just didn't ask the question. You didn't have somebody in the room that would push your thinking that way. And that leads me to all I've known about you is, you know, one of your specialties is around diversity. It's not to say that you don't have a cadre of perfectly fine, capable, majority white men in your stable, but you've always had a bent for diversity. And one of the issues that I always come up with is people only pick the kinds of people that make them comfortable. So, And diversity is really about pushing that envelope. So as you try to hold that I'm a woman and I'm, I want to make sure that I deliver a diverse slate of candidates, how have you coached or pushed the envelope with leaders? Because in essence, what you said is, you have to deliver what they think they want. Or you have to help them see what they need. Hmm. And they're two different conversations. But uh, let's go to diversity. So when I started in search, I was one of few females. There's females certainly in executive search and some notable ones, but it's never been a female-dominated industry. I went into search without ever having done a search before, and the reason I did is because I was getting recruited by two of the big five in search. And when I brought up what was important to me as a diverse executive, female, when I brought up the topic of diversity 20 years ago, it was just too early. It was like a curtain fell. Nobody wanted to talk about it. There wasn't the same kind of discussion. But 20 years later, we're still having the discussion, which makes me crazy. Why are we still having this discussion? We already started this thing. It's kind of like the seat at the table for human resources. Oh, please, can we get over this? Mm -hmm. At any rate. Um, I focused on always bringing a diverse slate and had very great success at 80%, then 90%, then almost 100% of slates that came in were diverse. And to me, diversity is anything that's not a white male. I like white men. I'm married to a white guy. I love him too. It doesn't mean that I, <laughs> doesn't mean I don't present white men, but I always make sure that there's an opportunity to look for diverse slates because mm-hmm. I think, you know, and it's been proven over and over and there's no argument with it anymore. The world is diverse. Your buyers are diverse. Your consumers are diverse. And so you need to bring everybody's thought and opinions to the table. One of the things that I think is important, we talk about the questions that need to be asked and maybe putting a different lens on them so we ask different questions. What about the questions nobody thought of? because the right people weren't in the room. Mm -hmm. How do you know if you've asked all the questions unless everybody's there to give an opinion about what those questions could be? You know, you sit in a room, you know, and years ago, uh, all businesses were run by white men. So if you're trying to appeal to a consumer that's a woman and you've got all men in there, what do they do? Go home and ask their wives, ask the little woman? you know, in the 50s and the 60s. Well, that's not people being in the room and giving, you know, they're just giving one question or one thought. They're not actually having a robust discussion. Robust is one of those words I hate, but, uh, (laughs) you know, a a thorough discussion around whatever the issue is. Well, if you don't have black people in the room, you don't have European people in the room, you don't have women in the room, you don't have, you know, every possible person in the room who can represent what the questions are and what the competition is doing around it, how do you know if you're asking 
not if you're asking the right questions, but did you even think of that question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens if you don't know what question to ask? Yeah. And so when you're talking to some guy who's obviously hiring, or even a woman, because, you know, I find women are, can be, well, I don't know if I need another woman. And I think you know the story of when I was the head of HR for a gas company and I wanted to hire a black female. She refused to, to say yes to me because she said, no, there'll be too many blacks in the senior executive position. <laughs> you know, and, you said, and so it's this kind of, you know, after I got over the, the whipping of my head, it started me thinking about, you know, there's two sides to that. There's the convincing the white guy to hire, but it's also, you know, convincing women and minorities who have succeeded to bring on more talent that looks like them, to have those questions in the room because they can be very different based on people's backgrounds. So how do you push that envelope in a gentle way? Because ultimately, you know, you got to satisfy what the guys, what they need, whoever the client is. I think it brings us to assimilation. And I think that one of the questions that has to be discussed and one of the thoughts that they have to have is what they're going to do when they get the perfect candidate and assimilate that candidate. Mm. So whether the candidate is white male or black female or white female or Hispanic or Jewish or Muslim or whatever, I think the assimilation plan has to be thought about prior to bringing the person on board. Because one of the questions I ask when I'm going to pick up a search, you know, Debbie, we want to use you. We want to use it for, you know, the senior vice president in charge of looking out the window, whatever it is. We want to bring you in to find this. And my question after getting information about the position and the spec and what they think they want is what's the assimilation plan? And the joy of my life is when someone says, here it is, here's the plan, and this is how we're going to assimilate. What do you think of it, Debbie, and are we missing anything? The one that you want to have your hair on fire with is what assimilation plan? Mm. Why do we need an assimilation plan? And it's not a plan, but we'll make sure we take care of him or her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I know I'm in for a little bit of a battle because how you assimilate the person, minority or whatever, how you assimilate a new employee into your organization really says a lot about the company and really Mm -hmm. takes away that first six weeks where they're like, oh, my God, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. 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 Buyer's remorse, you know, buyer's remorse. It takes it away because they have a plan. They know who they're meeting with. They have people that they're seeing. It's not just about their job. It's about acculturating them into Mm -hmm. the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just made me start thinking about how often do you, if you've got 10 searches, how many times do you get one or the other? I would say now it's 50-50. It okay. used to be two had an assimilation plan and eight of them didn't. Yeah. I would say now it's about 50-50. The larger companies, I mean, I deal a lot in the Fortune 200, those companies have assimilation plans. They have them in writing. Uh, they have, you know, they've used them. They've tweaked them. They're pretty successful. If they're not successful, they know how to make them successful. I would say smaller organizations, not that the, you know, Fortune 300 and beyond are small, but But companies that don't go for the huge assimilation plan will have to think about it, but they're open to it. Mm -hmm. The ones that just don't think they need it, I would say probably two in ten. So it's getting better. Yes, it is getting better. It absolutely is getting better. And the importance of it, why having an assimilation plan is so important to the new employee coming in, I think it's getting better and better. Mm -hmm. You know, some executives do it naturally. Mm -hmm. I mean, they assimilate their people naturally. Mm -hmm. Some are better than others. I mean, some are better at coaching than others. 
but some just don't understand why they need it. And they just haven't been taught it. It's not always taught at a low enough level is my thought on it. Because having an assimilation plan should go even down to a middle manager. Yeah. You've got to be assimilating people. It doesn't mean just the C-suite or the next level below the C-suite. It means middle management has to be assimilated right, too, because those are the people, those are the building blocks of your team. I mean, if you're doing everything right, you don't need a person like me. Yeah. Well, somebody gets hit by a bus, you know. Yeah. But the reality is it's good to have a mix of people you bring in from the outside and people you grow on the inside because it's not good to have everybody homegrown either. So moving, bringing in and out of new ideas is the important thing. Right. You might want to bring in from your competitor. You might want to bring in from an entirely different place. You know, when Alan Mulally went from Boeing to Ford, all of Detroit mm-hmm. was like, he'll never succeed because mm-hmm. you're bringing them in out of something else. If you weren't born into the auto industry, you don't know it. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> yeah, and a I fabulous think job. Yeah, and I think that's better thought yeah. of at the top of the organization, but that's a hard, hard sell. In the middle of the organization. We still, when we talk about strategies that fail, I still think that a big piece of what causes strategies to fail is that we don't bring in this new thinking. And we think that the technology or the process or the industry will insulate somebody and make and give them higher performance. When I think in some cases, not all, but I think in many cases, bringing in somebody new who has a fresh set of eyes to do, as you said, ask those different questions is exactly what you need, and specifically when you're in a transformation mode. You need somebody who's not resistant to seeing things through the same lens all the time. And yet that's the toughest thing to have happen at all times, right? Yes, and I can't think of a company that's not in transformation, can you, Denise? Because I can't think of one industry that's not in transformation right now, today. Well, let's put it this way. I can think of some companies that don't know they're in transformation, versus those who actually do believe that they're in transformation and are setting up a way in which they're going to deal with it. And I think that's the bigger gap. You're right. Transformation is everywhere. Everything is in like you don't, you don't like the other words. I hate transformation. It really is about we are in a, a hyper state of evolving business and social context. And it's part of business. you just got to figure it out, which is brings me to the latest thing of more women getting into their own business, as well as this whole Me Too movement and, you know, the rise of women talking about the amount of sexual harassment and insensitive comments that people of color, religious um, differences, ethnicities are having to deal with. As a search person, and you're looking at the person's environment, how do you deal with For the most part, the jobs that you're trying to attract are still male-oriented environments and cultures. Yes, and I would say the number one issue, because I think uh, this is just, I'm grossly generalizing, but I'm telling you that how much money people make is just numbers on paper to me. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. I know how, I probably have heard how much people make, you know, ad nauseum. I never remember it because it either works with the search or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So my biggest aha when I first started in search was to sit across the table from some person, male or female, who was very senior in their position and think, oh, my gosh, how did you get in this position? Because I just don't see it. Versus sitting across from someone who was not nearly as highly paid, very sharp, 
really, really very much engrossed in the job that they were doing and what they wanted to do in their career. And they were underpaid because they were female and minority, underpaid like by a hundred grand. Mm. And so the numbers is what spoke to me first, the lack of a pay equity. Yeah. That's the first thing that I saw and recognized in search. And I still, it's the first thing I see. It's not as bad as it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think for the most part, people want to do the right thing, male and female, and they want to yeah. make sure that people are paid equitably, yeah. uh, equally. So I don't think it's a malicious thing. I do think all the things that have been in the news have contributed to it. You know, women haven't gotten the same opportunities that men have, so naturally they haven't been paid as much. I live in a community where women have gone to all Ivy League schools and then dropped out for three or four years to, you know, have their kids and come back. And so that four or five or six years out of the workforce did hurt them financially. You know, all the all the normal things we're talking about. But I think when you've got two people side by side, is, you know, a senior vice president in charge of something with people that report to them and P&L experience and one's paid 400000 and one's paid 300000 I immediately want to know why. It's less mm-hmm. now. It's less now. But um, my thing is making sure they understand what the range of the job is. Everybody mm-hmm. knows what the range is. Every human resources person knows what the bands are in their company. And It's going away pretty quickly, you asking me to ask the person how much they're being paid now. Who cares? The band for your job is this. So if they're making 200,000 or 400,000, you're either in the band, this is my range for the job, or you're not. And that's the more equitable way to do it. Am I answering your whole question there, Denise? Yes. And so that's how you approach it. And I think I agree with you that at the more senior levels, it's probably going away. But I'm not sure it's actually going away in the middle levels. Um, and that's the problem because that's where the majority of people live. Right, right. Well, I can tell you that I've had some pushback from clients who have said, you told them what the range for the job is. They said, yeah, because you told me what the range for the job is. This is what the range is. Mm-hmm. If they volunteer to tell me what they're making, that's peachy, but I'm not asking them what they're making. This is the range mm-hmm. for the job. So you're paying them the range for the job. Well, if we could pay them less, they said, why would you want to? It's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Why would you want to? The range for the mm-hmm. job is this. You expect to pay this, so pay it. Mm-hmm. I don't say it quite that way, but that's the truth. Yeah, the but truth. and that's the attitude you bring to the table. Yeah, you're right. Yes, some of the conversation we're having is because we're two friends and we can do this. But I do want the audience to understand that finesse is one piece, but attitude and thought position is you really have to be very clear on your position about things because otherwise when you're in the moment having these conversations you're going to you're going to be a loss for words and you won't know how to effectively uh, convince the other person of the risk and consequences of what they're proposing in front of you right right absolutely right i mean i'm hired to represent the company in the best light and to make the candidates that I bring to the table want to work for that company. I just had someone say to me, thank you for representing us the way that you have. Well, this is the job. This is the candidate. The candidate's working for a larger company than my client. And in working for that larger company for 10 years, she's not going to get the big job, which is the one I'm trying to recruit her for because she's Mm -hmm. got 10, 12, 30 other people in line for that job. This job is paying her twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars more. It's a smaller company, but it's the big job. In three mm-hmm. or four years, she's going to get recruited out of that job to another company, maybe back to the big company she was working for at a much higher level. It's the only way it's going to happen. 
I'm yeah. not saying that, that the big company won't promote her, but it's not going to do it in three years. Yes. And given the research that is prominent out there, that diversity of experience that she's going to get running a – having the top job in a smaller yeah. company will Bring definitely – Yes. It brings stuff to the table, but it will also help prepare her for – or him, whoever – for the next job, which is a top job or the next to the top job in a larger organization. And that is kind of the progression that we're seeing now as people are – it's a buyer's market, so it's an employee's market right now, right. especially if you're known to be top talent. And so this this fighting for the top talent has just heated up for companies, particularly those in the top, what, 300, 400, Fortune 300, Fortune 500 yep. companies. Yep. And I just counseled somebody, you know, recently, like in the last two weeks, who I've known for a long time from her first job. She came from, not the Ivies, but equal. So, you know, top school undergrad, top school MBA, uh, went into the training, rotational training program for 18 months to a corporation, to a major corporation, uh, got recruited from there to another major corporation where she got a director of strategy role, then got, you know, an operational role where she had P&L. Now, and she's moved. She's relocated a couple times. Now is offered a much bigger slice and made mm-hmm. her an offer. And she came to me and she said, what do you think? I said, what's the range for the job? She said, I never asked the question. I said, go back and ask them the question. So she went back and she asked the question and said, you know, I thank you for the offer. Always thank Thank you for the offer. I'd really like to ask you this, something I neglected to ask before. What's the range for the job? And it was $30,000 higher than the offer they were making her. Oh, no. And I said, well, I guess they should be paying you what the range for the job is. And that's what she asked for, and that's what they're paying her. Yeah. Because the hiring manager either didn't realize or chose not to realize that's what the job is going to be. So her offer went up $30,000. Yeah, I find it very interesting. I'm working with a client in a large pharmaceutical company, and he's been asking what the range for his job is. He's been in the role five, six years. They just gave him a bump into a different role, more nationwide role. And his boss says they don't know, they don't tell them. He's gone to HR, and HR has just not answered the question at all. And so I find it very interesting that in this day and age, we're still having this secret conversation around compensation um, and asking. And I think the only place that we, I feel from my clients that we're getting better at it is if you're going to another company. That first job offer or that interview, you can get some pretty good intelligence around what are you worth out of it because internally it just seems to me I've noticed over the last particularly the last two years companies are just not or HR or managers lack the information around salary and this whole idea of not talking about it has it's almost like a cloak that has fallen over and I wonder how much of it is due to the fact that you know, a few years ago before the Obama administration was left they were pushing about salary equity. Your thoughts? Well, you know, I again, my job is to represent the corporation to the candidate, and I want to make sure that I represent them in the best light in every situation, including in pay. And so I always ask the range for the job. I always secure several times, repeat several times, this is the range for the job, and this is what I'm looking for. So I always start those conversations, I don't start the conversations, but always within an interested candidate interview and or a source of mine for other candidates, I always tell them the range for the job, always. 
I think that's the best way to get the best candidates to make sure that we're seeing candidates that understand the value that the company is putting on the position, where it sits within the organization, all those things. I'm on the other side of that coin. I'm known to be a disruptor when it comes to pay. You know, if it were up to me, I'd post everybody's pay on a board. Mm-hmm. I just think equal pay for equal work, absolutely. I think if there's discrepancy in why you pay Joe X and you pay Bill Y, um, has to be discussed at performance review, and I don't believe in an annual performance review. I believe in a weekly performance review. Yeah, you know, yeah. But if you screwed up, you know, if you did a great job, add a boy. Uh, so everybody knows where they stand, and nobody has any questions about it. You know, I'd love it if every this if every one of these jobs was paid two hundred in base, and every one mm-hmm. of these jobs was paid a buck fifty in base, mm-hmm. and then you make it up in the bonus in terms of the pool that every company has and how you pay for bonuses for performance. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to see base pay be you know X across the board. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you hire them in X across the board. So uh, you know that's my thoughts on pay and pay equity and ranges. But that's where I get it. You know, I always know what the range is for a job. And if I have someone who's out of range, usually higher out of range, before I continue with them, I might have one conversation with them. I'll go back to the client and say, he's really good or she's really good, but she's going to be, you know, more than what you want to pay. Do you want me to move forward? Here's the resume. What, you know, what do you think about it? Let's have a discussion about it. And either they'll shut it down right away and say, we just don't have the money to do it. Or "Mm, I kind of like to talk to them anyway. Okay. So that's okay. that's where we are. So in, in every instance, you really believe in giving the information to that person and saying, hey, make up your mind. This is your decision. Here's the information. Here are the facts. This is what I think you can get. And and I have to say, that's how, you know, when we, you and I were working together, that's always how you treated me. Yeah. These are your decisions. Right. This is what the range for the job is. This is where they want to go. You make up your mind, you know, how you want to handle it. I'm, you know, I'm here to support you, but I don't work for you. I work mm-hmm. for the company. Mm-hmm. And you need to be, you know, you need to know that. That doesn't mean that I'm not keeping confidential the things that you tell me, but but I work for the company. I get paid for the company and I represent the company and I'm very clear about that, you know, up front. Mm-hmm. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and took away a few tips that will close the gap between making your dream life your real life. If you enjoyed this podcast, pass it along. Leave a question or a comment below. It would mean the world to me if I could connect with you. So go out to my LinkedIn page, ask for a connection or Twitter at Coach HR. And remember, answers are better than anger. Seek empowerment rather than the divisiveness. And the responsibility is yours to achieve the life that you really want to have. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.